Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week I had ultra athlete Ryan Montgomery on the show to talk to me about OutTrails, which is an initiative he started to help create safe spaces for LGBTQ plus runners. Ryan, who identifies as queer, has been one of our sport's biggest advocates when it comes to things like queer inclusivity and representation. And a lot of the insights he shares in this conversation expose and attempt to provide answers for some of the major issues ultra running continues to face, especially as it grows. We talk about what trail runners, brands, and race organizations can do to support the queer community on just about every level, as well as his own experience coming out how running has helped him better understand the shape his own identity takes, and a whole lot more. But before I bring Ryan on, I do want to take a quick second and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Ryan. All right, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We were supposed to do this last week, but after, I guess, almost three years of, of avoiding it, I COVID finally caught up to me and I was I was bedridden for the majority of the week. So appreciate you uh, bearing with me. Oh, man. Well, I'm sorry you got COVID. That's like no fun, number one. But yeah, I feel like all the people that didn't get it in 2020, 2021 uh, are like now getting it this fall and winter because I just got it a few months ago myself too. So the last of us are getting it now. I know. And it's like, it's not cool to have it anymore. It's like, oh yeah, you got COVID. Like... <laughs> cool. Where were you a few years ago? I don't think it ever was cool. (laughs) Right, right. But you know what I mean. Uh, We're we're late to the trend, I guess. Man, it is no joke. It is no joke at all. Well, you're sounding great. So I'm glad that we can have this conversation now. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on to talk about OutTrail, the community you've kind of initiated for the LGBTQ plus uh, runners. And I think you're doing a really good job of helping grow the sport and make it make it more inclusive. Um, before we get into that, I kind of wanted to kind of dial in on your background because um, I actually don't know too much about you. Um, how did you get into ultra running in the first place? Wow, that is uh, such a long uh, story and answer to that question. <laughs> but um, I guess it all comes back to like me growing up. I had always been a runner since middle school. I did middle school cross country and I did high school cross country. And so I've always like been one who has like loved to move on like my two feet. And I remember in middle school, I lived in Alaska at the time. That's like a whole nother story of like, how did I end up in Alaska? Um, But in Alaska, you know, there's a lot of like nature and forests and like paths that went into like random forested areas near in the town I lived in. And so I felt like I like developed this love for like being in the outdoors and like being on trails and like feeling like I was connected to like the trees and the water and the animals that were like around me. But like fast forward to high school, I 
I've always been like a person who has aspired to like push myself and to like see what I'm capable of doing um, academically, um, physically, athletically. And I remember my freshman year in uh, high school, I told my cross country coach that I was going to run a marathon and she legit like exiled me. <laughs> she, she was like, Ryan, you're going to hurt yourself and you're never going to run again. And of course, like growing up as like a closeted queer person, I like took that as a personal challenge. And I was like, well, I'm going to validate myself and I'm going to run this marathon at the age of what is it? 14, 15. And so I run my first marathon and I'm like, wow, this is like such an interesting experience where I learned about myself. And I know this is a long worded winded answer to like your question, but um, essentially the year after that, I went on this uh, running expedition in Bolivia with a nonprofit called impossible to possible. It's founded by Ray Zahab. He's kind of like a, one of the trail uh, are like trailblazers in like our sport um, uh, up in Ottawa. And he invited me as well as some other people on this expedition. And it was like in that experience where I met all these ultra runners, I heard these stories of bad water. I was like, wow, I like want to do that someday. That sounds really interesting. Um, and I, ever since that time in like 2010, when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to run ultras. And so fast forward to, to today, um, December, 2022, um, I'm now running professionally in ultra running. So wait, okay. You, you threw I know it, there's a lot to unpack yeah, there. <laughs> you threw it out there. Well, I guess we could start. Like, how did you end up in Alaska? And where are you from originally? <laughs> um, I'm originally from Seattle, Washington, the suburbs of Seattle. And my mom remarried to another person that was living up in Alaska at the time. And so that's why she brought me and my sisters up there for three years. And then we moved to Oregon. And so that's how I got back down to the States. Thank goodness. Nothing against Alaska, but... Um, it was a it was a great part of my life. I'm grateful for. It. <laughs> yeah, and tell me more about this trip to Bolivia. Like, what was that like for you? Um, I mean, there it really was a big defining moment for me as like an athlete, and it still defines like who I am today. But this nonprofit they take they take youth and they put them in situations where they have to reach beyond their perceived limit, and so the the canvas of this is to empower and inspire and educate like the global youth the community and use adventure as a medium to do that and so i'm like with two canadians i'm with another u.s um athlete and i think there was another one from chile and we're like supposed to run a marathon today at like between the ages of 15 and 17 we were like we don't know what we're doing but we like we had to actively problem solve like somebody was hurting we like adjusted as a group and I learned through that experience, like, whoa, my body like adapted to the stress over the course of like multiple days, over the course of five days. And so it was just like a, it was like the experience I needed to learn about myself and my body and to trust my body that like it can do like really difficult physical adventures. And I think that was like where I realized like, oh, I think my body, even though I never thought of myself to like be able to run these distances, like, oh, I can. And like my body will learn and adapt for it um, as appropriate. And so, yeah, really, that was kind of like my experience as I like reflect on that today. Did you get back home and like immediately sign up for an ultra? Was that process pretty (laughs) gradual? It was very gradual because I was still like 16 years old at the time. Um, 
I mean, I didn't even know anything about like the ultra running landscape at that point in my life, but I just knew that I wanted to run ultras like later on in my life. Um, and so like I started tackling ultras in 2016. So what was that like five, five, six years later? I mean, you are now a sponsored athlete. You run for ultra. Uh, how did you kind of work your way up in, uh, the ultra scene? Uh, what are some like, I guess to this point, like career defining moments for you. Do you mean in terms of like my accolades? Yeah, or like, like races. My, okay. Like, I mean, you won a golden ticket at Havelina in 2021, uh, which we can talk about. Um, but before that, you were already kind of close to the top of the sport anyway. Uh, I guess I'm curious, like how you got there so quickly. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest part of like, becoming a, an elite athlete or competitive athlete is like really trusting yourself that like you can do that and you can compete at that level. And so in 2019, the, I was still like very much like figuring myself out and like figuring out like racing. And so I would like run a random 50 K and I ran a random hundred K. I ran the Tahoe 200 that year as well. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I just like wanted to experience like all these adventures. And I remember I hired a coach that summer or that fall, Anime Flynn. And I was like, Anime, I don't know what I'm capable of. And I don't know how to structure myself to like get to that next level. And I need, I need to do a race to like build the confidence that like, this is like what I'm supposed to do. And so that, that December we uh, were building up to the USA track and field hundred mile championships in Texas it's the Brazos bend. I think it happened like this last weekend, actually. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see like how I can do. And it was one of like the most amazing, like physical, um, or like athletic performances I've had. I ran like a, tw- a 1259. So like a sub 13 hour hundred miler. And I think that was the experience where I was like, okay, I think I'm like pretty good at this. And if I like properly structure my training and like hold back the the reins a little bit in racing and like really focus on training i think i can like i can do some do some really great things and so i think i needed that experience to be like okay ryan like i feel validated and i feel like this is like a place for me and so now i feel confident going after golden ticket races or going after western states for example Right. Like using it as kind of a yardstick, like, all right, this yeah. is a definitive result. I can like weigh against other people's finishes and get a sense of where yeah. I am. And I feel like my approach to ultra running back in like 2016 was just like, go out and have fun and like adventure and like not worry about like position or anything. And I think that has benefited me today because I have so much experience. Like I've ran the most random hundred mile races. I've ran Badwater. I've run a hundred mile race in Alaska in the winter time. And I think like all of those experiences have like built, built enough context to like help me be a really good problem solver in racing, you know? Yeah. Do you still have that kind of go out there and have fun approach though? Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, I think there's like a lens of like, oh, I'm, I'm competitive and I like want to win this thing. But every time I show up to a start line, it's like a celebration of like, I'm here with my friends. I'm just here to have fun. And I'm going to like push myself really hard at the same time. (laughs) Totally. How has like running helped inform your sense of identity outside of like being a runner? I feel like it's been everything for me. Um, I think for, we haven't really like talked about this a lot yet, but 
for people that don't know me, I'm, I'm a queer um, trail runner. Um, and I haven't always been out. Um, I grew up in a very homogenous, um, not, not the most welcoming environment for, you know, someone to come out as gay, queer, non-binary, whatever that is. And running was truly like the avenue that allowed me to express myself and to like look inward and like help identify like who I am and then express that appropriately. Um, So I I share like one example of when I was in Utah, I went to BYU um, here in Utah and I'm like still like not out at all to anyone. And I'm like very afraid because my environment is not safe to do that. And I get invited to go on this trail run up in Park City. And I'm with a bunch of new people that I've never met before. And one of the organizers of this group run, like, knew, like, about me and that I was gay and I was closeted. And in the middle of the run, he said, hey, everyone, this is, like, Ryan. Like, he's gay, blah, blah, blah. And it was, like, the first time in the air that, like, that statement was said. And I was so nervous because then I'm, like, faced with the reality of, like, how these people are going to react to that. And everybody was like, oh, hey, Ryan, like, what's up? Like, it, like, it didn't even phase anyone. It was just like a matter of fact. And that was like where I realized like, oh, I am gay. Like, I can embrace this. Like, let me experiment with like that language and like embrace like who that is. And so ever since then, like every time I go trail running, I'm like going, I'm, I'm allowing my thoughts to like enter like new parts of like who I am. And I like ask myself questions and I can process it in my head. And so really like running and trail running has been like the medium to like embrace my whole identity. Like it really has. And so I'm like really grateful for that. Were you out when you started running uh, ultras? No, um, I wasn't out publicly until 2018. And I started running ultras in 2016. What was the response from, I guess, your trail running community uh, when you did come out? I would say it depends on like what community we're talking about. Right, right. <laughs> um, like I've, I've, I've developed a lot of great like queer uh, identifying friends and like they've all been so supportive, obviously. But I have a lot, I do, I have had a lot of friends where, you know, now I'm embracing more of my identity. Like they don't reach out to me as much or they have explicitly said that like, this is something that like they don't support or believe. Um, So that's not necessarily like trail running friends, but kind of like more broadly that's happened. Um, And like, even in the trail running community today, like I, I'm quite vocal about like the work that needs to be done in our sport and my experiences and other people's experiences on trails. And it's like constantly like nonstop, invalidated like online i get like so many comments um so many comments like whenever i do work with brands and like in this space and like call out my brand saying like they're woke and like why does everything have to be gay and and so i'm like constantly met with that energy like all the time um so it doesn't like phase me anymore but it's just it's validating to me that like what i'm talking about is important because if it's causing that effect on people then clearly there's a problem. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I think that like ultra running as a whole is like so community driven, you know, like everyone says, oh yeah, like the ultra running community is so strong, but it's also so like homogenous as well. And that can feel like really othering um, to a lot of people, including the queer community and like people of color. Um, So I'm, I'm wondering like, how do you, how do we start to combat that? Um, I'm not asking you to, you know, speak for everyone, but um, some like some practical ways we can challenge 
uh, how homogenous trail running can be. I want to like address like a comment that you just said, which is what I hear all the time is like the trail running community is so great and we're so loving and we're so welcoming. Yes. And (laughs) that's not everyone's lived experience. Um, I think what's happens a lot in as trail runners, or if you're a skier or whatever outdoor sport is like, you find your kind of squad and then you associate that squad and that like micro community to be indicative of like the broader sports community, which is not true. Right. There's so many like different subgroups and subcultures and that's not everyone's lived experience. Um, for example, this year I've like developed a, a broader, like um, a whole new arm of like my queer community of like trans runners and just like listening to like their experiences on the trails are so different than mine. And I had I would have no idea what that was like until I heard those stories. And so to answer your question of like, what is it that we can do? I think there's like, so, there's so many things. Right. Like one is like, um, so when I was in school, I did this research project where it like studied how like our broader exposure to otherness or like other concepts or other ideas influenced our ability to be like more open-minded and there's like a very strong correlation to that and it seems pretty logical when you think about that so what does that mean like as trial runners like if you if you're the content and media that you're digesting is like pretty homogenous and like coming from like one source i would say you might be in like an eco chamber of like ideas and you're not being exposed to like new people and new concepts um and so that's like from like a like an like a everyday like athlete, like how can I like learn more? And then I think for people like yourself who has like a media company and a podcast, and I think about like the the trail societies, the free trails, the Dylan Bowman's, like the people magazine editors, like if you have a position of like authority and influence to influence points of views and ideas, like I think you own part of that responsibility as well. Like if you aren't diversifying the voices and ideas on those platforms, then you're doing a disservice to our broader community. And you're just kind of serving that eco chamber of that community that you think is representative of the broader community. Does that make sense? Totally. No. And I think that's like the exact answer I was looking for. Um, because <laughs> that just, it, it, it's really resounding. And I imagine like the same is true of like brands too, right? Yeah. And this is like where you have to be super careful because um, I would say when I started coming out of my shell and like owning the fact that like I'm gay, queer in our sport, which there aren't many at the elite level, especially um, it's very easy to like be tokenized or to like be like, oh, this is something that like we could put on our page that shows that we are like, quote unquote, inclusive. Um, And I think this is like the my day job, by the way, is like a lot of strategy work. And so it's like breaking it down to like, what is the, like the outcome you want to drive? Like it, do you want to like make our trail running community like more inclusive inherently? Then it like requires like more work, such as like giving money to nonprofits that are doing this or, you know, actually elevating the voices of like queer people of color. And like making them like part of your marketing campaign and like part of your supported athlete team, for example. So there's like, yes, you can like say that you're inclusive by like putting in 
putting me as your poster child of inclusivity, but you need to like support the work I'm doing, actually give back and like follow it up with action. I think that's like the disconnect that I think brands are still learning of like, how do we do that? Well, um, so yeah, kind of an interesting time right now. What are your thoughts on how like races can become more inclusive? Not to put Depends you on, on the like, spot. <laughs> well, the, it's like, it's hard to answer that question because there's so many different angles right. to look at it. Like, are you I'm, I guess saying so. just from like an organization point of view or like, how do we bring more diversity to races or I think, how do we make it feeling more included? Right. I think like maybe the two latter points, like how can we bring more diversity to races and how can we make them feel more uh, inclusive? Okay. I love this topic because it's, it seems like a very simple answer, like, oh, invite, you know, people of color to my races or, you know, invite LGBTQ athletes. But there's like actually a systemic problem in process in our in our current sport. I love Western states. Um, I love the organization. I love what UTMB is doing to elevate our sport. But there are like, and like, I think of like also like the hard rocks. They are like they're the races that I think a lot of people in our sport like want to race. Like they are like the cornerstones of our sport in North America and globally. However, if you want like people of color and like LGBTQ people to like run these races, how does like one even like get to the chance to like put their name in the lottery? So like, let's break it down that way. Like all the qualifying races like if they don't have non-binary categories, non-binary people are never going to be able to even be qualified because they're not going to run the races. If these races are like in the middle of freaking nowhere, like if I have to fly to South Africa, that which requires like a ton of money and privilege and ability to like travel there, like everyone that's in like a, the lower socioeconomic communities are not going to be able to do that and not going to be able to qualify. So it's like, yeah, we're like kind of setting up ourselves up for failure to be more inclusive if we don't allow people to bypass that or find another way to do that. And so I'm kind of in talks right now with some of these organizations to like understand how we can, you know, better that because I do think it comes back down to like a process problem. Like we have process issues. We can't just like make it a marketing campaign. Like we actually have to look internally at our organizations and how we're built and like change that inherently too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I see all the criticism of like non-binary categories at races and it just, it doesn't, I don't understand why they're, why people are so, I guess why they, why they meet it with so much like contention. Um, it seems like, it seems like obvious that that, like that would do a lot to make our sport more inclusive. Um, are there any other like sports that have kind of done a good job at this that we can use as like a template actually road running is like kind of leading this charge right now in cycling um the national cyclocross like championships were like just this past weekend and they had a non-binary category um a lot of gravel events do i look at a lot of the major marathons and they have non-binary categories as well as prize money for the non-binary category and to answer your question about like the the what's the right word? Not his hostility, but like resentment towards like non-binary categories. I think it comes out of like the position of lack of education and understanding of what that actually means. I think there's, I think a lot of people think that non-binary means that men are going to be competing against women and their men are going to beat out women. 
like biological men are going to beat up biological women. But it's literally like binary category for everyone is literally a third category that is open to anyone and allows anyone to race that at face value. So if I declare myself as non-binary, I can race. But there's still a woman's category and there's still a men's category. And those are still like equally the same, like competitive. It's just allowing a new category for people to express themselves if they don't want to be in a binary category. So really, it's only benefiting a, a, a population versus pulling away from any of those two populations, men and women. Right. Like I think a lot of people um, are protective over it because they assume that, oh, someone can just, you know, change their their pronouns and and compete and, you know, I guess, gain an advantage that way, which I think is completely inane i don't know like why someone would do that in the first place um but people and you know what i've learned too is that individuals in the non-binary category like yes i can see this conversation happening down the road of like how do we make the non-binary category like equitable but really it's like all about of just like supporting self-expression like that's all it's about no one is really like um being protective of like, oh, I'm like racing this race and I like wanted to like win this money. Like people are just like wanting to run in this category so that they can race where they feel seen. Like that's really like at the core of it, like why we have that category. Can we kind of transition into um, out trails? I'm wondering if you can sure. kind of set that up for me. What prompted it? How did it kind of come together? When did you first get the idea for it? So for about two years now, I've been wanting to build like queer trail running community. And I've been gaining like a following and like traction of people um, on Instagram and social media, where like that has become like my community of like queer runners. Um, but every time I like sent out a poll on my Instagram or like gauged my community, everybody was saying how much they like wanted to find other friends in a community where they could recreate in a, a very safe environment where they see themselves because that doesn't really exist today. Like there's, there's like queer camps, but nothing through the lens of like trail running specifically. So for like a year I've been sitting on this, I'm like, how do I do this? And like my strategy brain is like, okay, I have to like figure out all like the, I have to cross all my T's into all my I's and I have to have everything buttoned up. And I like then just realized like, I just have to like do this and everything else will just like figure itself out. Um, and so last winter I realized like, I'm going to put on this event. I'm just going to be like later this fall and I'm going to like figure out all the details. And so question number one was like, how do I bring 50 queer people in the back country? Cause I don't, I don't, how do you do that operationally? Like, I don't even know. So um, one of my like favorite friends and like companies, Aspire Adventure Running, they're based out of Bellingham. I like realized like, oh, this could be like my my like back end like operators for this event, and then I can just be like the MC facilitator for this community. So I partnered with Aspire, and then I was like, okay, now we're gonna launch this. But the only way that this is going to be meaningful to this community is that if it's a free experience for people, like eliminate barriers, all the barriers. Um, especially financial. So I tapped the shoulder of like various sponsors, like told them like the the impact and the story of like what this is going to do, rallied together um, a bunch of dollars and we were able to fund 20 scholarships, which is amazing. 20 full tuition scholarships for a three-day running retreat. And 
Um, so we hosted a scholarship application. The public were able to come and like pay their way in as well. And so fast forward to last October, October 2021, um, at Mount St. Helens, we hosted about 45 queer identifying people um, for a, a three-day or a three-night, two-day running retreat. And it was so beautiful because the scholarship and like the dollars from our sponsors allowed us to really bring a ton of intersectionality. So not only queer, but like queer and like people of color, queer and like lower socioeconomic, queer and like broad geography diversity. And so we were able to pull together like this beautiful, like rich um, community. And it was honestly the most special like experience of my life, not only from a learning perspective, but the friends that I made and like the, the stories that I heard. And one of my favorite stories is we had um, about like four to five um, trans masculine individuals that had gone through top surgery. And you know, when you go, when you have top surgery, there's like a little scar on your chest when you remove your breasts. And I, at at the end of this retreat, like we were sharing kind of our experiences. And one of them mentioned that this is the first time that they've ran with other people that have had top surgery. And so one of the days they all took like a shirtless photo, like while they're trail running um, to kind of like be symbolic of like, Hey, here's my community. These are other people that have been through what I've been through. And we're all in this beautiful space. And so like hearing stories like that is like so special because think about like, how much you, Matt and I, like Matt, you and I, like we run every weekend and we can run with people like ourselves all the time um, because we're both like white and, you know, you live in San Francisco. I live in like the Utah area. There's a lot of people like us, but imagine like having that experience for the first time in your life. Like that is what this is all about. Like that was like worth every piece of work and like the long hours of like facilitating this. And so um, yeah, I really like I'm walking away from out trails, that running retreat, like super motivated. And I'm like wanting to keep that momentum going. So we're doing monthly group runs in Seattle and Salt Lake right now. We're expanding that. And then we're going to do the running retreat again next year. But we want to 2x the number of people to come. Tell me more about, um, I guess, the day to day of the running retreat. I'm curious uh, what everyone did. Um, so we had, uh, different distances depending on people's comfort and aptitude. So day one, uh, people had the option of running 24 miles or, uh, I think it was 17. Yeah. 17 or 24, which is quite a lot for like, I think a lot of these participants, it was their first time trial running or like they were quite novice in their experience. So it was a big learning experience for a lot of people. And then the second day, um, so that was like during the day, and then we would have programming and presentations and social hour um, at the learning center at Mount St. Helens. And then the second day, um, people had the option to do this full Lewitt Trail, the full circumnavigation of the volcano, which was 44 miles. Um, There's a 24-mile option and then a 17 to 12-mile option. So a lot of variety um, to allow people to feel like they're comfortable and supported. But yeah, just a bunch of queers running around a volcano at Mount St. Helens. <laughs> and then uh, the next day we all left. Those are long distances. It was, yeah. Did you do the um, the full Lewitt? Um, I did not. I did the 17-mile option the first day. And the second day I did the 24. Um, I was still kind of like rehabbing from injury at that time a few months ago. But uh, 
Yeah, I think something I learned is that I wanted to create an experience where people were pushed outside of their comfort zones. Similar to like when I was it's in It's coming full circle. Yes, it's coming full circle that. <laughs> because like here I'm like this closeted gay kid, 16 years old. And like now I'm expected to run a marathon a day. Like I had no idea I could do that. And it was such a defining experience for me. I wanted to provide that opportunity to you know, our athletes at the running retreat. Um, of course, I wanted to also meet people where they're at too. So we had lower options. I think this next year, I might even like provide even lower options and provide more of like a intro to trail running experience as well, as well as the people that want to like run 16 miles in two days. <laughs> Are you still in touch with the folks uh, that came to the retreat? Oh, yeah. I've... Uh, I was in San Francisco recently. We got drinks with some of them. I was in Seattle. Um, we do. I was there for one of the group runs in Seattle. We have a Slack channel, and so we like talk on Slack a lot. So really, like my goal here is to community organize. Like I want this not to be a one and done, but to like build a community. And so I'm wanting to create an environment where you can interact with that community in a variety of ways, whether that's a group run on Slack, digital. Um, and more of these other in-person retreats. Cause I think that's really like where the magic happens is like when you can connect with people like yourself. And you mentioned that you have been doing, um, some group runs as well. Yeah. What do those look like? Um, so as of right now, I mean, I don't have like everything buttoned up, but like how it is today is that we have like monthly group runs in Seattle as well as Salt Lake. And my goal is to expand that into like other places such as San Francisco. I think Denver is also um, in the kind of like roadmap for next year and like mid Atlantic, like DC, Baltimore, New York area as well. Who have you been working with uh, in this project? Is it kind of just you? Um, it did start out with me, but um, one of my goals is, <laughs> is that using my running retreat as like a catalyst to like find people that want to raise their hands. And so that's what I've been doing is through this like new in-person community that I found, like a lot of people want to, you know, further along the vision of like what out trails is trying to do. Well, I think if you're open to having uh, a community group run in San Francisco, I would definitely be a fan of that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, we will plan for it um, sometime soon. Yeah. So we'd love to have you there. Before I get you out of here, I want to talk a little bit about your running this year. Um, I feel like December is, is a time when a lot of runners are kind of entering an off season and it's always a good time to reflect on on what we've done. Uh, and I'm curious, um, yeah, how your year went. Um, like this past year? Yeah, 2022. Okay. Well, this past year was... Uh, a year of learning and growth, <laughs> just like oh, most years. But I think I walked into 2022, like having all of like these goals and I've had to pivot from like pretty much every single one. Um, I think the biggest highlights of this year is like I had two injuries that I like did not expect. Like one was like I have, I've had chronic plantar fasciitis for like a while and like it would be good and it would be bad and it would be good and it would be bad. And I just like used this year to like nip it in the butt and like did some PRP on it to like hopefully calm it down, which it is now. And then uh, because of the PRP, I was on the bike training and then I got hit by a car on my bike, oh. which was a whole like those are like one of those unexpected things, right? 
And I had to get surgery on my shoulder and like that put me out for like such a long time as well. So I think something I've learned this year is like how much my health is important to me and how much my health it manifests my happiness and like my drive every day. And so that's like what I've been investing on investing in is just like my health and like really celebrating like every day because every day I get out and like get to run is like an adventure and it's like so fun. And there's days where you can't do that. Like everyone that's been injured, which is most people that are athletes like know what that feels like and it's not fun. And so I'm just trying to like relish like all the good days. Um, but yeah, that's my 2022 recap. <laughs> oh, I did. Uh, I did throw myself into 50 K a few weeks ago um, on a whim and did really, really well. Um, and I auto qualified for Leadville. Um, so I'm going to run Leadville next year. Oh, awesome. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about plantar fasciitis because I feel like it is one of those injuries that just never goes away. It's like, oh man, I've dealt with it for, I think almost three years now, similar to you. I ended up like tearing mine. Um, oh, you did. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then kind of just put my head down and tried to run through it. And um, I think it's event- it, like eventually got to the point where it wasn't really bothering me, but I developed a compensatory injury which is no fun. Um, but Because you were compensating? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. I think like on the outside of my foot's got a little irritated because I was shifting weight on that side. Um, what did you do to, to finally kick yours? Oh, my goodness. I mean, to your point, it's like an injury that you can say it worked for me to and share that with another person, but it might work or it might completely work or, you know, something else might work for another person. So, um. I have literally done everything under the sun for my planter except surgery. I've done the night splints. I've done massage. I've done all like the massage oils and medicines and CBD. I've done steroid shots. Um, Actually, my first steroid shot was successful, but it only lasted like four months and then it came back. Um, And then the subsequent ones didn't work. Um, but what was weird is every, I got imaging done and my planter was like fine according to my doctor. So, um, so then I was like, well, nothing's working, including strength. I did strength work. I did like literally everything. And so I got PRP two times, like two times in a row just to like truly nip it. And it got up. It's like, I would say it's like a 97, 96%. And I'm just kind of like, it is what it is. <laughs> did you do shockwave? Oh, yeah. That's the other thing I did. I did radial shockwave last spring. It didn't work for me. And then this fall, my foot doctor, she got a focal shockwave machine, which focal is like the more deeper and like intense. And I did do focal um, five sessions. And I want to say it helped, but like maybe it was placebo. Maybe. I don't know. Um, So I did do that. But like, I'm just like now done with like everything. And it's like, I'm now at like 96%. And I'm just like, not going to touch it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I also got shockwave. And I feel like they have to like, fly those machines in from Switzerland, because they're so expensive and like, (laughs) unique. Did it help you? No. Well, because like, bummer. I was like, I guess I I never really had true planter because I tore my ligament. Uh, so shockwave, I didn't, I don't think did too much, too much for that. But the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because, I mean, when I had really bad planter, I would scour the internet looking for 
interviews with other runners that have had it, um, all this kind of stuff. And like learning more about the condition and what worked for other people like really helped me at least like gave me confidence um so i'm i'm glad to get your story and i'm i'm happy that you're over it yeah i I mean i appreciate you entertaining the conversation because like when i went and searched you like you find things for like the everyday like person who's like walks to the grocery store and like maybe doesn't run like 20 miles like on any given day i'm like you don't understand like i need to be able to run like (laughs) how do I fix this? <laughs> and I like just found like the, the frozen ice or the frozen like bottles that you roll your, I'm like, that's like not enough. Like I need like something like more intense. And so that's where I found like shockwave according to like the, re- I've been, I've been like really down these rabbit holes of the research is like the current research supports like shockwave really well and cortisone shots. Um, PRP is like hit or miss depending on your practitioner I like to say it helped me, but then, then again, like maybe just by not running for a month, maybe that in itself, like would have like been good too. But, um, I found the PRP to be like really invasive and like, I couldn't walk for like two weeks. And then you have to like, for the first round, you have to like be in a boot for a month, which was just like so debilitating. So I don't know. Depends on your scenario, I guess. And we should also say definitely go to your doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Don't listen to us. <laughs> cool. Uh all right, Ryan. Well, I think uh I think that's a good place to end it on on plantar fasciitis. This was yeah. a lot of fun and um I've learned so much. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Matt for the conversation and uh appreciate you. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Ryan for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward. We'll talk to you again next week.